to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have gone overseas today. So I have got a young gun from overseas, Andrew Losey. Thanks for coming in and talking to me, Andrew. Brent, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on the podcast today. It's just, it's good to see the young guys on my social feeds, just putting out good content and blowing up my my feeds with with regards to coaching information. So appreciate you coming in and talking to me. So thank you so much for your time today. For those that don't know you, can you give us a bit of a brief outline of who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so my name is Andrew Losey. Uh, I'm a PGA professional. I grew up in upstate New York, which is about three hours north of New York City in the U.S., um, I went to college uh, down in, in the south of the United States for a, I did a professional golf management program and studied marketing as well. Um, and knew from a very young age, even before college, that I wanted to be a teacher uh, and coach. So um, I actually gave my first golf lesson at 14 years old. And then um, at college, I, I you know dove into teaching, observed tons of teachers, um, and just kind of continued to grow with it. Um, and in that program that I did in college, we had to do internships. So uh, one of the, the people that I, that I actually interned for for two years, and then my first job out of college, um, who I worked for was Michael Breed, who has spent some time wow. in Australia. Um, and, and so that was an amazing experience working for him. Um, and then actually during COVID, um, I took it, an opportunity to uh, go and coach Ian Poulter's son, Luke, um, who was getting ready for, for college and just needed some help. He didn't really, you know, have that much playing experience in uh, big national junior events and, and needed some help uh, with that and with travel and, and just getting ready for college. So I'm happy to say that he uh, accepted a, an offer to go play at uh, the University of Florida uh, that was last June. Uh, yeah, this past June that he accepted that. And then at the end of uh, 2021, my kind of time with the Poulters came to a, an end. Um, just saw that that Luke didn't really need uh, as much one-on-one -on -one coaching every single day. So um, I, I decided to to part ways with the Poulters um, amicably and, and, you know, still in great touch with them and, and, and love them very much. And Luke and I are great friends. Um, but so now I'm actually moving up to the Boston area in Massachusetts and uh, we'll be coaching with a few other international people, um, some from, from Australia and one from uh, the UK in Ian Highfield. Um, so so uh, we'll be coaching up there at a place called Core Golf. There's a, there's a couple of contacts there. I'll be um, speaking to you about getting in touch with Ian. Is he's, uh, he's someone on my podcast, um, yeah, podcast list? Great. To, yeah. to get on the show, so I'd definitely be eating up there. But you started coaching at fourteen. That's um, that's a little bit different. Um, yeah. So, what was the the thought process behind that? So, so the person who taught me how to play when I was uh, a seven year old, and all the way up until I was seventeen, uh, he needed some help with with all the camps and clinics that uh, he was running over the summer. And I just decided, you know, or he kind of saw in me that I wanted to help. Um, I was kind of one of the getting to be one of the older kids in his camps and clinics and one of the more talented kids. Um, and I, I just approached him. I was like, hey, you know, I, I'd love to help out because I, I looked up to those those helpers growing up. 
Um, and so he gave me the opportunity to, and, and those lessons that I was giving and, and the help that I was giving when I was 14 was, you know, I had no clue what I was doing and still probably have no clue what I'm doing. But, um, but it, it, I've, I've learned so much and it was, it was honestly, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and I, I fell in love with, with teaching and coaching, you know, at the range that I grew up playing on. Um, just, just seeing other kids start to smile and, and fall in love with the game the same way that I did. I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was curious about the quality of coaching you actually gave when you were 14 and you, you said it was tough and they've probably thrown you into the hardest area of coaching. I think yes. early on is coaching kids. I think coaching kids can be really challenging, especially if you're young. So you said the, the quality of coaching that you gave was, was probably not quite up to scratch to start with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. The, the pro, who, who taught me how to play, he kind of came from the era where they were the old ball flight laws. If, if you know, if, if you know what those are and, and, and one of the ones is, is that path um, is the, the club path is, is what creates the start direction of, um, of the shot, which now we know to, to be, you know, the club face is what, is what does that. So, so that's kind of what I was my introduction into teaching was, you know, something, something that now is, is totally different. Um, so, so, and, and even growing up as a 14 year old, I wasn't necessarily the best golfer ever. Um, and not even the best junior at my course, but we, you know, I, so, so I didn't really know much about the ball flight laws. I didn't really know much about short game techniques. All I knew was, was from my experience playing and, and from the person who taught me how to play who was standing next to me on the lesson tee. So I was kind of just doing what he was doing. And I, every now and then I would ask him, Hey, you know, is it okay if I tried this with, with, you know, this kid? And he'd say, yeah, go for it. I love that idea. So he kind of let me get my hands dirty um, and, and, you know, get my first experience uh, teaching and coaching. It's it's cool with kids. I've I've said this in the past. It's um I kind of started coaching out with 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 kids as well, and yeah, I always tell coaches coming through that experiment with the juniors at your club because if you screw them up, you can always fix them up later on. Yeah. They're the kind of kids you can always um, tweak the coaching six yes. months down the track and improve it again. But yeah, um, and kids are great because they can generally do what you ask them to do as well. So you can find yeah. out pretty quickly if the stuff you're and coaching it, is any good. Yeah. And the other thing too, is, is when you're thrown into a clinic or a camp with 10 to 15 kids, none of those kids are the exact same. They're all different levels of maturity, different levels of, you know, physical stature, everything, um, different personalities. So you have to try things. So, so, you know, those first lessons weren't that I gave weren't great, but they definitely, you know, helped get that, that train moving down, down the track a little bit and, and get me some more experience and, and, you know, just open my eyes to, wow, there's so many different things that I need to learn um, that I can learn and, and a million different avenues that I can go down. Control chaos, I call junior coaching. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. kids going everywhere, which is, which is how it should be. It's supposed to be fun. So. Yeah. Yep, exactly. That's that's really cool. Now, talk me through because I'm always curious when I get guys from the states on on the call. Talk me through some high school golf and some some college golf type experiences because yeah, we don't have that over here. Um, we have junior tournaments, so to speak, but we don't have the the type of tournaments you guys have over there, or the college golf or the high school golf system. So, talk me through early high school golf and college golf. 
Yeah. So, so um, in high school golf, it, it's usually different uh, depending on what state you're in. So um, for me in New York, our level, and, and again, I'm, I'm not down in the, in the New York city area where there's a lot of great um, courses and, and uh, elite players. So my high school golf experience I was going out and shooting two over par for a nine hole round and helping my team with that score. Whereas, um, you know, when I was down in, in Florida, they actually, they will play 18 holes. So they get out of school early and they'll play 18 holes. They'll play 36 hole tournaments multiple times uh, per season over the weekends. And you've got kids out down there in Florida who are shooting four under par and they're four shots back sometimes. So the level of play is completely different. But for me, it was, it was great. I had a lot of friends on my team. We would ride the bus after school to the golf course and, and play, you know, whatever team from our little, um, you know, our section area. Um, and then we got to, to, at the end of the season, we would play in a, in a state championship. Um, if you qualified for the state championship, which I only was able to do one time since I had a pretty solid team. So I always got passed up um, to, to try and qualify for the state championship. Um, but then, then in that state championship, again, everybody from whatever section they are in the state, they'll go and they'll play one course and, um, and, and it's just a lot of fun. You stay out of college actually. And, and, uh, and, you know, room and board with a bunch of different kids, your age and, and just play a, play a fun tournament and, uh, hopefully your crown state champion. I unfortunately did not play that well. Um, but I was, I was just happy to be there. Um, in college, though, we've got uh, in in the U.S. we have three divisions: Division One, Two, II, and Three. And um, Division One that that would be you know the big schools like Alabama, University of Florida, um, Stanford is another one um, that that's really good. Uh, and so they'll play they'll 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 have a team that's between five uh, or probably probably more like six kids on it to maybe all the way up to twenty kids. And then what they do is they'll play a qualifying tournament that can consist of anywhere from maybe four rounds to eight rounds throughout the course of a week or two, um, or, you know, before the semester starts and the top five guys travel to, to the events. So they might have four events during the semester. And, um, and again, those, those top five go and, and only four scores count. So, um, four people need to play well. Um, but you, you know, so if you're having an off day, you, you can still hopefully be saved by your team. And usually there'll be an individual, an individual component and a, um, and, and then the team component as well. For me, where, where I went to college, it was a small division three school, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our team being a, a, uh, at a school that has a PGM program, we get a lot of good golfers that, that came through. So, um, so we have a really strong team that that's won many national championships for the division three, uh, you know, championship. Um, and, and I, I was lucky enough to make it my, my first year. Um, and we had, we had, we held a tryout every single semester. So I made it my first semester and then I never made it again. And actually when I was a sophomore in college, my second year in college, I, I stopped trying out because I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm focusing on teaching and, um, 
just don't not not putting as much time as these other kids are into their game and it and it's showing up in tryouts. So instead of kind of splitting time, I just said I'm going to go and teach. So that's what I ended up doing. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm curious about coaching in high school golf and college golf. Do you get coaching as part of the program, or do you have to go and source that outside of your own schools? Yeah, so so it depends. Um, our our coaches are really just you know chaperones really. Um, sometimes you'll, you'll get a PGA professional who will, you know, volunteer to go and, and coach a team and they'll have, they'll bring the team out to the course and, you know, give lessons or clinics to the team. But for me, it was, it was just a, a physical education teacher at the school who, you know, played golf and, and, and likes it. And so he, he just kind of was our chaperone and our, our coach and our motivator. And he just kind of set the lineup, set the pairings and said, all right, guys, play your best and we'll count them up at the end. Um, in college golf, usually, usually the, the coaches are a little bit more talented, so they can give a little bit of help. Like um, the, the coach at the University of Florida, JC Deacon, he um, is, a, is a very talented player. He holds the course record at the, the, um, the course there at, at Florida um, played in some in some big amateur events growing up, some some pro events. He's won some amateur events, you know, even even over the last couple of years. So he can give a little bit of help to to students, and he does. But you know, there's a few few players on his team that go and they seek out instruction from Sean Foley or Claude Harmon because they're they're in that Florida area. Um, but but yeah, so so where I was at at school. Um, our coach was, is a PGA professional. So he is very skilled at, at coaching and giving, giving golf lessons and diagnosis of golf swings and how to help, you know, all those players. But the one other thing that, that is different in, in uh, college golf compared to pro golf or just amateur golf is you, obviously the time is split up with the coach uh, between all the players but that coach is only allowed to spend a certain amount of time total with, with the whole entire team or the players. So I think it's, I believe it's 20 hours a week. So if you really need help and you want to go see a coach, it might be best to go, go travel to home and get your swing coach to spend a weekend with you and really dive into what's going on because your college coach, he's got a team of 12 guys that he needs to see over those 20 hours. It's um I was again people who tuned into the podcast in the past I've heard me say this before but the rules behind college golf it's just was just scary I spent some time in the US with um when I was coaching in Taiwan I had the Taiwan team over at Junior Worlds and okay. um college coaches because my kids were playing all right in this tournament and college coaches were handing me cards and I said well, come and talk to the kids but they they can't they mm-hmm. had to stay on the cart paths and they couldn't talk to players. Um, during rounds and all sorts of weird weird rules, which kind of surprised me. It was it was um, certainly weird to see that, but it is obviously very strict with how they go about it. Which yeah, is, which is yeah. Tough. And, and in junior golf too, it's it's the same way here in the U.S. They've you know they're they're very strict on where the parents walk because they don't want the 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 parents giving any advice. Um, they're big on on pace of play over here, and they'll hand out penalties for pace of play. Um, there was there was a, a one time this summer where I was at a junior event um, and we were in a practice round and they were going to 
to move us up in a few holes in the practice round because we were taking a little bit of time and we're like, but we're being held up too. And we're not really holding up anybody. Like, where's that coming from? Um, so it, it's definitely, definitely a lot of, of interesting rules once you get into tournament play and, and higher level, um, you know, golf in, in college. Yeah. I was curious also if you don't have that kind of access to the coach and you couldn't afford to go and see another coach somewhere else, you develop your skills. I would have thought just from on course play. So I think that's sometimes why you see some players come out of the, the college system that don't have what you might call a technically perfect golf swing, but can actually play golf can actually score skills. So that's got to be a positive. I think spending time on the course as opposed to spending Definitely. all day on the range with a coach. Definitely. Yeah. We, you know, I, I was lucky where I went to college at Methodist University where we had a course that was just for the golf students. Um, and so you would go down there and you'd play as many holes as you can and um, an amazing driving range as well. And and uh, and you'd, you'd just spend hours after there, uh, hours there after class, just, just having fun with friends and, and getting better. And, um, you know, I, I remember playing – playing, you know, uh, almost a full, um, I, 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 you know, rehearsed my tryout the weekend before, before tryouts. Um, you know, so, so that's something that, that, you know, you're sometimes able to do, but in junior golf, you know, you, where I grew up, we didn't really, we never played practice rounds. They were kind of PGA section events for juniors and, and, um, you know, not national events. So you just kind of showed up and played and, even if you didn't see the course before, you're just like, all right, let's see where we can hit it today. And, and hopefully we don't get into too much trouble. Um, but, but yeah, I, you know, I like how you said that, that if, you know, even if, even if you do have access to, to a coach, um, one of the things we, we chat about a lot at core with, with, you know, Ian Highfield being a performance coach is um, you need to practice like you're you're playing and and your practice needs to involve some play and the only thing that you you have when you're actually out on the golf course is your ball flight and your feel to go off of you don't have your camera you don't have a pressure mat you know you don't have a training aid attached to your arm you have none of it to try and get your feel so you really have to you know during your practice whether you have a coach or not, you need to attach your feels to that ball flight because um, that's all you're given out on the course. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool way to learn, I think, is on the golf course. I think it's, it's certainly more and more coaches going down that path now than what they ever have. I think that, that is really cool. Um, yeah, the junior golf in the States, just is, it's huge. It just it's a, spending some time there with the Taiwan, Taiwan team, it blew my mind. We played Southern California, I think, PGA junior tour events. And, like, they were... Yeah full-on tournaments and then we played a couple of AJGA events yep. and they have pre-qualifying for a junior they tournament do. that yep. it just that just freaked me out they had a full yep. field of juniors teeing it up as a pre-queue and then some of them that qualified took that exemption off to somewhere else so they could use a different tournament in the future yeah. but it's pretty that it's was pretty just, crazy it was like like kids had sponsors invites and um, that was fine. They were getting in, but yeah. when I saw this pre qualifying event tee up a couple of days before the tournament, I thought, "What is yeah. this? How it, is this so I mean, big?" It, it's crazy. When I was working with with uh, with with Ian Poulter's son Luke, the first weekend that I that I was working with him, we had one of those pre qualifiers, and and we drove 
three and a half hours to this, to this, you know, pre-qualifier, we played a practice round and then stayed overnight and then played the pre-qualifier. Luckily he made the, the, the event. And so now we're like three and a half hours away from home. And we had only booked a hotel for the one night. Cause we weren't sure if we were going to, you know, make it or not. And then, so we had to scramble for that. But if you end up not making it, then you've got another, you know, we had, would have had a three and a half hour drive home. So there's some pressure added to those events for real. And, um, and it's, it's, it's tough as a, as a kid to, to handle that. And, you know, I've seen, I, 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 this, this last 18 months or so I've watched more golf in person than I ever have before. And it's mostly been junior golf. And I mean, in these events, you see kids implode and, and even in those pre-qualifiers and you see a kid who travels from another state or two states away, or they fly in and they, they didn't, you know, play well. And you see that happening and you see what's going on in their mind, um, you know, show on, show on, um, you know, on their shots. Um, and it's, it's a lot. It really is. Um, it's something that I never did as a kid because I didn't really know about these AJGA events um, and these national junior events, um, never played in them. So I was just around my local area. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't really feel too much pressure if I didn't play well, but I mean, I can't imagine driving four hours, getting to a course, playing a practice round. And then, and then the next morning waking up and, you know, fighting for <laughs> fighting for a spot in an event. It's, it's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Crazy. And again, it probably just enforces the fact that good parenting and good coaching would play a huge role with regards yes. to these kids being out there in that space. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you, I mean, you see some, you see some crazy stuff. I'm sure you've seen a, seen a lot, but um, you know, you, you see the best and the worst of it for sure. Now I'm curious if an Australian junior, for example, was keen to maybe uh, head over to the U S and possibly get into a college golf system over there. What would be the best way for them to make that step? Yeah. So um, first things first is, is you've got to have the scores. So that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be going out and shooting 64 in every event, but you have to show that you're playing in some uh, bigger events with, with tough fields and playing pretty solid. So um, you're going to need to have a, you know, if you want to go to a top level division one program, you're going to need to have a scoring average that's probably 74 or less, I would say, um, in, in these events. Um, you're going to need to have some good finishes in those events. And then from there, you've got you've to go out of your way to, to, um, to talk to coaches. So there's some rules in the U.S. about when you can contact coaches and when they can contact you. Um, so maybe you have a, you know, your, your golf coach type up an email, like you can, you can get around it a little bit to just, you know, get your name kind of out there a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, so for, for Luke, what we did, he hadn't played in any, um, I think he played in two AJGAs, um, before I started to work with him and he was a junior in high school, hadn't played in any of these. And so over 10 months, we, we ended up playing in, I think, maybe eight or nine events and got on the radar of some coaches. And after one of these events, one of these, you know, really good events, um, 
strong fields. He, he played, he played really well. He came in the top, I think he was top five. Uh, and, and so he played well, got some recognition from some coaches. So as soon as, as soon as he did that well in an event, we took video of his swing because it was in a good spot. I was really happy with it. Made sure we got some good sounding crisp iron shots. We put a little video compilation together. We put a playing resume, uh, resume together and we pushed it out to all the schools that he was interested in. Um, so we sent it out, I think, to maybe eight or so coaches. And the University of Florida, which was his dream school, got back right away and said, looking good. We look forward to chatting with you. Um, and, and they just said, text us whenever you, you, you know, whenever something's going on, whenever you're playing, whenever you're practicing, just say, hey, I just learned this cool shot. Send a video. Coaches love communication. If you're not communicating with them, they're going to go to somebody else. Um, and then the other thing, the advice that I have for, for young golfers who want to play collegiately, um, everybody has, you know, once you have those scores and you go to an event, like Luke, he, he had a couple of events where he did not play well. He scored pretty poorly, but he already had the college coach's attention, right? Obviously his name, but he, he had played well in, in a few events. So he already had their attention and everybody at those events, they know that they have the scores, right? The college coaches know that if you're at this invitational event, you're good enough to be there. So they don't really care if you shoot a 64 or a 74 or an 82 or whatever you shoot, they want to see how you handle yourself. They want to see that you're a good kid. They want to see that you're taking your hat off and shaking your hand. They want to see how you're treating your parents or spectators um, that are watching you. You know, there's, you know, we've seen some kids out there over the last 18 months that, you know, if, if something goes wrong, they're slamming a club or they're throwing a club, they're hitting their bag. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, the parent gets a little bit too close after a bad shot and the student just blows up on the parent and a college coach is sitting right there. Well, you know, there's, there's only so many spots on a college team and it's going to go to somebody who's respectful and who has, has those scores, which everybody at that level has them. So they want somebody that is going to be you know, respectful for four and a half years or four years, you know, when they come to college, they don't want somebody that they're going to have to watch over their shoulder or, you know, look at and, and really, you know, obviously there's some development maturity that goes on in, in, uh, in college, but they don't want somebody that's going to be a massive, massive project. Um, and somebody that might make that school or team look bad because of an outburst emotionally. Um, so, so I would say again, just, once you have those scores, get those resumes out there to, to college coaches, and then and then you've got to you've got to be respectful uh, to everybody, which is just great advice, you know, no matter what, if you're trying to play college golf or not. Very true, very true. Um, so yeah, some great tips there for some so anyone in Australia that's looking to head over there. I'm curious how much of how much of a help do you think the Polter surname was, or did it did it help Luke, or do you think it maybe made it harder for him because so so we expected had- more from him. We've had this conversation a couple of times, and um, uh, luckily for Luke, it, he and this was big for his confidence, his dad did not make any phone calls. His dad did not make any phone call to, to a coach. There was maybe a little bit of, um, you know, 
when when his dad would go to a PGA Tour event, if he saw a college coach out there, he would just, you know, wave and say, hey, how's it going? And the coach might ask how Luke is doing. So so there's a little bit of name recognition, obviously. But but that definitely, you know, we, we spoke about that with his college coach, um, Coach Deacon. And he said, you know what, I, I definitely expected more of you because of who you are, because of your name. Um, but, but it was a big boost for Luke to, to get that spot by himself. And, and, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, he, he definitely earned it. I mean, again, he, he, he didn't play in any, any big junior events, didn't play well in any big junior events until his, uh, second to last year of high school. And then when I got there, we just traveled. So there was a lot of pressure on him. You know, he's, I I dealt with this before where I've been, the coach of just one person exclusively and that person knows how much they're paying me and they know that they kind of have a deadline of when they need to reach their goal and for Luke it was midway through his senior year of high school and luckily we beat that but for that first person that I worked with who was a professional player being supported by his parents um, it was it it you know, knowing that every single day my parents are paying this person and I need to get the best out of this experience, it kind of, it, it definitely was an added pressure to him because he knew, he knew that it was on the line every single day. Um, and so, you know, for Luke, we would go to these events and we would fly and we would, we would drive and travel to these places. And, you know, he knew that if he didn't play well, he wasn't getting a spot. And, and then this experience with me and, and that I was having with the Polters would come to an end um, and he wouldn't be playing in college. So, um, you know, he, he definitely earned it. He, he, we, he got committed to the team after 10 months of, of us working together every single day. Um, and, you know, he, he played his scoring average. He, he played phenomenally. His scoring average dropped from, I think a 76 in tournaments down to a 72. So around level par um, his in Florida, in the state of Florida, he was the sixth ranked. Uh, yeah. Sixth ranked player for all high school golfers. And I think in the country for high school play, he was, uh, he was 92nd in the country. So he, he definitely, you know, he turned on the jets when he needed to, which was, which was a great thing. And I, I think he gets that from his dad, but luckily he got the spot in college all by himself. That's cool. I'm curious though, with the changes, you said obviously he improved his, his scoring ability. How much of that was technique based change or how much of it was playing golf change? So I think, I, I, I think that most of it was just from me working on him as a person. You know, there, there was definitely some technique things. He, he has a very interesting swing. Uh, Ian and I have chatted about it. He's, Luke has an interesting grip. He has a lot of lag that happens in his swing very naturally, which is a great thing. But it also produces some problems for him. Um, so he had to kind of work through some of those things, which, um, which we did. And, and he got a little bit better with, with controlling the ball. Um, his short game, he, he has very talented hands, but his decision-making in, in short game needed some work right off the bat. Um, but a big thing that, that I think, you know, Luke needed to do was, was mature a little bit. And, and again, those emotions that we talked about 
And so, so it's interesting. The very first time that I met Luke, I went down for a visit um, before I, you know, actually moved down to Florida and we go out and we're just practicing one night before dinner. And I, we're hitting these chip shots and I go, Hey Luke, I just want you to, I'm, I'm going to give you an easy chip, real easy chip. And it was maybe a seven yard chip just, just off the green in the fringe to a dead straight, you know, landing area, everything. And I say, I just want you to make three shots. Let's, as soon as you make three shots, we're going to go in for dinner. And after maybe 12 shots or so, he hasn't made one and it's fine. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm tossing the golf balls back to him. And I'm like, like, come on, like, just, you can, you can make one. I know you got one and yeah. And so I'm hungry. He, Hurry up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, come on, you got this. And he's not making any, and we're 10 minutes into this now, hasn't made a single one. And I notice he is not taking any practice swings. He's getting frustrated. He's not looking at where he's trying to hit it. He's just hitting. And so I go, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to make you make three today, but what I want, I, I interrupted him and I go, if I was filming, filming you practice and do this challenge right now, obviously maybe not the best practice thing, but it, for me as a coach, it was interesting to see how he reacts to, to, uh, to a tough situation, a tough situation in quotations there um, and, and poor performance. But so, so he's doing this and I go, Luke, if I was filming you and you saw yourself throwing this tantrum right now over not being able to make a seven yard chip, you would die laughing. It's hysterical what you just did over this last 10 minutes. Um, so, so I go, look, you, you're smart enough to know what to do. You're smart. You're, you're talented enough that you can bang these three chip shots in, but you're letting this easy situation that's proving a little bit tougher than you think to get the best of you. So, so all we did was I just said, I need you to take two practice swings. I need you to look where you're going. I need you to take your time on each shot and think about where you're trying to land it and how you need this ball to roll out. And over the next five minutes or so, he, he ended up, you know, making his three shots. And I go, now, wasn't that a little bit easier? And aren't you a little less frustrated right now because you're actually controlling yourself? So, so we did a lot of, a lot of talking about, you know, maturing. We, we did a lot of talk about course management. Um, and we did a lot of talk about expectations too, which for a junior golfer is really important uh, to, to just look at, you know, some PGA tour stats and see just how far away from the hole they actually hit it. They don't hit it that close every single shot. Um, so, so yeah, we, we definitely did some physical things. The other thing too, he grew a lot, which was a challenge for his golf swing. Um, you know, when you're changing how long your arms are and how far away from the golf ball you are, you know, you, you just lose all sense of coordination. Um, so that's, that's one thing, knowing, knowing that and having experience as a coach um, and even just as a, as a player, because I'm, if I were to stand up right now, you'd see I'm very tall. So I went through those growth spurts too. Um, knowing what happens to your golf game uh, and what you might lose with your golf game when you're growing, going through a growth spurt um, to help, 
kind of quell your or yeah quell your your frustrations and manage your expectations a little bit out on the course is a really big thing so um, that's one thing that I told Luke we're we're going through this we're getting ready for one of those big junior events and we're a week out maybe from leaving for the event and he's struggling out of nowhere and and I go I go are your shins hurting when you're going to sleep and he goes oh I can't even fall asleep. My shins hurt so bad. And I go, okay, you're going through a little bit of a growth spurt. So we just got to do everything in our power right now to just get the club on the ball. But let's, let's, you know, let's make it a little bit dirty and let's just kind of get through this. It's not going to look pretty. It's not going to look perfect. Let's just make it through this little (laughs) mini growth spurt. But um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of maturing that went on um, as, as you might expect as a 16 year old growing up. Um, and then, and then, yeah, there was, there was a few golf swing things and some course management and short game and putting too. But, but yeah, he's, he's definitely matured a lot as a, as, as he's grown up a little bit. Yeah. Sounds cool. He he said he had some strange things in his golf swing. And as a coach, it's always, I'm always curious about how you worked out what stuff to change and what stuff to, to essentially leave alone, um, which can be a challenging space if someone's got a a weird type of golf swing. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, Luke's got a little bit of an interesting grip. He has a, a strong grip with his, uh, lead hand, his, his top hand on the club. Um, but it also runs a little bit through his palm, which, which I'm not, you know, I have an opinion on it. Every coach has an opinion on it. Um, and I explained it to the Polters, but we, we, we decided not to change his grip because he's, that's the way he's been doing it for a long time. Um, so what we did, we, we just said, okay, we've, we've got to find a different way now, uh, to just control, control his start direction, uh, and gain a little bit of control over the golf ball, which added to that is very difficult to do when you have so much lagging down at the bottom of your swing, you release it all at once. So, um, one of the things we saw that, you know, we got on a pressure mat and a force plate. And we saw that at impact, even though Luke's swing looked pretty good at impact, he actually had a lot of pressure on his backside. So that was one thing where if you've got a lot of lag and you're trying to release it, you might lean back and kind of chuck it out, you know, to release the club. Um, but it was hurting his sequencing and how he released it. So, so one of the things we did was we just kind of worked on that initially over the first, I don't know, maybe two months or so, just trying to get better at that. And um, and he, he got a lot better and that definitely helped his, his iron play and his driving. And, um, and, and, you know, from there, he, as we did some speed training with that growth spurt, he started to, to swing a little bit more left and he was always swinging a little bit left. And, um, so, so we started to, to try and, and work that back a little bit, a little bit more square. Um, he, he hits down on the driver, which you know, his, his dad being very smart is like, no, he needs to hit way up on this, which is, which is right. If you want to bomb the ball and take advantage of the speed that you have, you should hit up on the ball a little bit. Um, what I saw when he did that was he lost control over his, over his direction. So, so I said, okay, here's our range that you need to live in, right? You, you can try and swing up on it as much as you want, but when you do, it's not okay. So, can we live with this range of angle of attack of like, 
you know, one down to one up. Can you be okay with that? Because he's got enough swing speed that he can bomb it. Can we live with a spin rate of, you know, 2,700 to, or, or, you know, 2,400 to 2,700? Can we live with that? Uh, can we live with hitting down on the golf ball with a six iron like you're hitting a nine iron? You know, can we live with those things? And for me, I said, I, I'm like, it's going to take a lot to rework all these things. And it's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. So we, you know, as a coach, you know, you, you have to take in all those things and you have to look at the goals that the person has. You have to look at the time frame that the person has. Um, you know, I, I think that if Luke wasn't, um, wasn't going to try and play college golf and instead just was a 16 year old trying to get a lot better at, at golf, that, you know, maybe I, maybe we would, we would have made some different changes, but he had to play 13 events over the course of a year and, or maybe even less than that. So, so going to these events and working in a brand new golf swing and changing his, his natural tendencies just wasn't going to be a good thing. So um, you know, obviously he's very gifted in, you know, in the way that he, he swings the club already. So we just tried to work, you know, work that the best way that we could. And, and, um, and then two, obviously he got a lot smarter with, with course management. And I mean, me, his dad, him, uh, his father's caddies, we, there was times that we argued and argued and argued about course management and, you know, me coming from a little bit of a newer way of thinking a little bit more like a decade, um, decade golf, Scott Fawcett way of thinking. Um, and then his dad, who's been out on tour and, and has, you know, didn't grow up with decade like I learned. And, um, and, you know, we ended up after having some of those conversations, realizing that we have a lot of commonalities um, with the way that we, that we think about it but the way that we get to it is completely different. So, um, so there was some things that we did with that, but yeah. Um, you know, like I said, as a coach, you've just got to take what the player gives you. And, and, and I'm big on not having, you know, one specific way that you need to swing. Um, Cause Luke holds the club completely different. He's, you know, he's a big kid. He's, he's six, three and, you know, 190 pounds. And he's got friends that are five, seven and, 140 and they move completely different. Um, there's kids that hold it completely different. And, um, he's got another friend that's going to college with him who, who has been told to, to, you know, get the flexion of the left wrist and just kind of turn and burn. And I looked at this kid swing for him a couple times and I go, I go, dude, I, I think you need to release the heck out of it. I really do. Um, and cause he was just hitting these low burners and, really big hooks, which he liked hooking it, but I'm just like, you got to get the golf ball a little higher and, you know, you're just sweeping it and picking it. And, you know, I think you'd get a little bit better if you straighten it out just a touch and hit a little higher. Um, so, so I think, again, you just got to look at what the, the person gives you and think through the solution to, to where they need to get to. I'm hearing there as a coach, and I think it's a really important idea to get across to all the coaches out there is the fact that 
you kept the communication open with Luke and his team when you yes. were talking about changes or talking about how you were going about it and I'm taking this path because of these reasons. So having yeah. that communication between you and the team is just huge. Yeah. I think you've done that extremely well. Yeah. Which is, which is and, really cool. and and I mean, it, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was it was tough. You know, I'm a, I'm a young person. I'm 24 years old and um, you know, I'm very strong minded in, in, in the, in, you know, my values and, and what I, when I think something, that's what I think. Um, and you know, if I have a direction, that's the way that I'm going to go. And we, you know, Ian and I, we, sometimes we didn't see eye to eye. And so it's a very difficult thing as a young person to stand up to a seven time Ryder cupper and say, no, I think this is the way we need to go. And you know, there was times where Ian said, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I see that. Let's do that. And there was other times where he said, Hey, look, I'm going to trump you here because I've, I've got my experience as a player. And I, you know, I think that this way is best. And I say, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, we'll do that. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's different if, if you, if you don't necessarily, if the parent doesn't necessarily know golf that well to, you know, you're the authority, the coach is the authority. So the coach, they hopefully find a coach and hopefully they believe you and, and they're trusting you that, that you know what you're talking about. Um, but when the parent is, is a big authority in golf, um, it's a little, it's a little bit different. It's a little more challenging, but yeah, it was a lot of fun too. It's a tough space to be in, I'm sure. So, um, oh, cool, mate. I've got so much stuff to cover here. I've got so many. I've written down so many notes as you've been talking. Yeah, so, go for it. I can feel yeah, a, I've got time. I, I can feel a part two coming on already. So, <laughs> <laughs> something that I bring up with the young coaches in Australia is their experience through the PGA trainee program. So, sure. in, the, in Australia, we do a three-year trainee program. So, I'm curious your thoughts on the PGM um, program over in the states and how you found that. Yeah. So, um, again, I knew that I wanted to coach golf, you know, started when I was 14. So I just looked for where I could go. And we have schools that are, um, that are accredited by the PGA, which I went to one. And then there's some that aren't accredited, accredited by the PGA, um, which I had a friend that went to. And so basically when I graduated college, I had already taken all the PGA classes Um, and when I graduated, I became a PGA professional. And when he graduated, he had done all the lessons and things, but he needed to go and take all the tests for, to become a PGA professional. Um, I think it's a, it's definitely a a great thing to, to get into if you're looking to be, uh, you know, get into the golf industry, you know, there's been a few discussions on Twitter and Instagram over the last couple of months from people who aren't PGA professionals saying, Hey, you know what? I'm a really good coach and I'm not a PGA professional. And, you know, there's a ton of great coaches that aren't PGA professionals. Um, I think that, you know, I think coaching is, is definitely one space where you don't need to be a PGA professional to get into. Um, but I, I don't think that it can hurt. Um, the one thing that I would say is, is that you are definitely in control of, of your destiny. Um, whatever it is that you want to do. If you want to go be a head pro or, you know, a GM or um, a core superintendent or a coach. Um, For me, I, as soon as I got to college, I took over my career. Like I just said, I'm, I've got four and a half years here to, to get to where I want to go and to take advantage of this opportunity. So I just took the reins and I, 
Um, you know, I observed coaches. I helped out the golf team's coach with some lessons to, you know, for some of his players. Observed and met a lot of coaches. Coached a ton, uh, you know, over the summers. Um, and I, I would say that's the big thing. No matter what route you go down of going to a PGM school or not, or being a PGA professional or not, um, you have to, uh, you just have to dive in. Um, so by that, I mean, you know, you've got to get experience coaching if you want to be a coach. There's no substitute. Um, you don't necessarily need to go and get a bunch of certifications. Certifications is something that I really haven't done um, much of. I've, I've learned a lot by, by thinking and asking a lot of questions to other coaches and observing a ton of coaches. I mean, my, my biggest, the, the thing that propelled me the most with my teaching knowledge was working for one of the best instructors in the world in Michael Breed um, and watching elite golf lessons for three years. And I, I'll go and watch Michael give a lesson and then I'll go watch uh, an assistant professional give a lesson who's in the shop half the time and teaches half the time. And I'm just like, geez, you know, there's a big difference there and no knock on, on the assistant professional, but Michael just, he's taught every single day and thought about teaching every single day for 25 plus years. So he's really good at it. Um, I've been lucky enough that you know, for the last 10 years of my life, now being 24, I've thought about teaching every single day. So my, my growth as a teacher has just been exponential from that starting point. Um, you know, one of the, the pieces of, of advice that I got while I was in college was, hey, if you're going to be a golf professional, you are likely just going to go work in a golf shop and work at a country club and give some lessons. And I'm I'm like, eh, well, that's not really what I want to do. But this really well-known or successful PGA professional, head professional said, you got to go get some shop experience. So I took one of my internships and spent three months standing in a golf shop. And I remember the, our holiday over the summer is July 4th in the U.S. And I was scheduled to work in the shop that day. I stood in the shop for eight hours and I saw one person for eight hours. And I said, how is this helping me? How is that helping me get to where I want to go? Um, so, so, you know, if you don't know what you want to do yet in the golf industry, I think going to a PGM school definitely and going through the PGA education is a great thing because you're going to get to try things and you're going to get to learn about things. And if you don't know what you want to do, you have to try. You have to try as many things as you can until you find that passion. And then once you know that passion, you've got to dive in um, and you can't be scared to go a different route. I mean, if you had, if you had told, if you had told me as a freshman that my path to being a full-time teacher was going to work at Michael Breed's golf Academy and then going to work for Ian Poulter and helping his son, I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. I'm going to go work at a country club. But as I found is, as I've gotten, as I've dove in deeper into teaching and learning and asking questions of other professionals and trying to learn, one, my knowledge has gotten a lot better, but now I've started to stand out from those assistants now that were my classmates who just spend a little bit of time teaching every now and then. Um, 
So that's what I would say. I, I definitely would, would encourage you if you want to get into the golf industry, go become a PGA professional, definitely do it. Um, cause it, it helps and you learn a lot. Um, but yeah, you've, you also have to take control and, and, you know, and be the, the captain of your own ship per se. There's, there's some really cool stuff in there and just a couple of things I've picked up on the fact that you can't just do the PGA program or you can't just put out a shingle and say, I'm a golf definitely. coach and it, and expect them to come to you. You yes. need to need to promote yourself and put yourself out there and get that experience in there. And as you said, you've essentially worked with probably the best promoter in the golf coaching yes. industry in Michael Breed. So yeah. um, tell me about that. How did that come about? And yeah. talk me through that experience. So so this is this goes right back into what I was saying about how you kind of have to be the captain of your ship and you've got to, you know, like you said, you've got to promote yourself and, you know, stick up for yourself. Um, there, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure in Australia, they have something like it, but we have a, um, in the U S it's called the PGA merchandise show. And some Australian pros I've met a few have come over to, to the States for, for that. Um, and it's, it's basically where all the golf vendors, all the, you know, the shirts and, and the golf channel will be there. And if you sell a training aid, you're there. Titleist is there. Everybody is at this one convention center. And there's a lot of instructors that are there. There's seminars that go on. And uh, as a freshman in college, my first time going, I met a few people from the golf channel. And I, I just said, hey, I'm a PGM student. I want to learn a little bit more and um, talk to you about your experience with golf channel and, you know, just, just chat with you. And so I spoke with Matt Janella and Lauren Thompson of the golf channel um, and, and spoke with them a couple weeks later and it was great. And that gave me a lot of confidence going and chatting, you know, with people that I've seen on TV, uh, TV before. And then my second year, uh, in college, I go back down to the show. And like I said, everybody's there. They've got golf channels there and there's seminars going on. And another, you know, uh, thing that they do there is the, uh, PGA tour Sirius XM radio, um, is, is recorded there during the week. And so Michael uh, Breed, he has a show every single morning. And so one morning of the show, I, I, I'm walking by and, and I see the Sirius XM thing and I see that it's Michael. And so I sit down and I'm listening and the show floor has really hard floor. So it was nice to kind of take a break too. But so I'm watching Michael and, um, and after he's done recording, he stands up and there's a group of people there that want to chat with him. And I just kind of stand to the side of, of all those people. And once he's done chatting with them, I, I just say, Hey, Hey, Michael, uh, my name's Andrew Losey. I'm a PGM student. I know you're busy. Can I get your contact information so I can email you, uh, you know, after the show and, and, you know, pick your brain a little bit. He said, absolutely. So, um, I send him an email a couple weeks later and he gives me a phone call back and I speak with him for an hour um, gave up his time and it, and it was a great phone call. And, um, I asked him on that call for a number, a phone number. So that way I can go and observe him and figure out a way to go and observe him. And so he gave me his Academy phone number. And, uh, that next summer, the, the summer that I was just chatting about where I stood in a golf shop for eight hours a day. Um, I went and I observed, observed him teach for a day, drove five hours to go watch him. And at the end of the day, he goes, all right, you know, that was awesome. You asked a ton of questions during the lesson. Um, do you have any other questions? You know, what, what's going through your mind? And we chat a little bit of inst about instruction. Um, and then I go, do you have any internship spots available? Cause I would love to come and work for you. And he's, he said, 
uh, maybe, but I'm not sure. We'll be in touch. And so I get back to school a couple months later and uh, send my resume to him. And he gets back right away and he says, hey, Andrew, sorry, we don't have a spot for you. So I was actually going to go to a Golf Channel Academy uh, and coach for that summer. And then uh, literally a couple days before I signed the dotted line to go to that Golf Channel Academy, I get a DM from uh, one of his, his employees and one of my, you know, my then future coworkers, uh, Greg Ducharme. And he said, Hey, Andrew, uh, give me a call when you get a chance. And I call him up and he says, Hey, somebody just left spot opened up. Do you want it? And I said, absolutely. Um, and so, so that was, um, actually it's pretty cool. So, so I, I send that resume out here or no right away. And then a couple months later, I go to that PGA show for my third time and I see Michael and I see Greg, who I had met that previous summer again. And I say, Hey, you know, I'm going to be close to you guys. Can I come watch you again? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We'll be in touch. And then two weeks later, I get that message and he says, Hey, call me. And because I saw them and because I put myself out there, uh, you know, at that show, I was the first one that came to mind. Um, and got the job. So that was a, that was a really fun three years. It was, there was some frustrating times because again, Michael's a very strong willed, strong minded guy. And so there was some frustration, but there was a lot of fun too. Um, definitely, you know, propelled my career and did some cool things. There's, you know, there was a, I remember a day where he was getting ready for the, um, getting ready for the 2018 Ryder cup and he needed a yardage book printed out and folded and everything because he didn't have one, but he was about to do a show, uh, you know, for it and needed that yardage book. So the night before he goes, he goes, Andrew, can you handle this for me? And I go, yeah, I'll figure it out. And stayed up until 1am and woke up at 5am the next morning to go and <laughs> deliver it to him. Right. So, you know, it was, it, I worked really hard, but um, there was a lot of fun things going on and, you know, some cool experiences watching him, you know, film on TV from his own studio and things like that. And obviously watching him coach and, you know, pick his brain was, was just phenomenal. It's really cool. I'm sure it was scary to put yourself out there like that and actually approach him, but he is a very approachable person as well. He is, he is, you know, he is the exact same person that, that you see on TV. He is the nicest guy. He's full of energy. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, he's, and, and, um, one of the things I'm doing is I'm, I'm publishing a book and, and he's, you know, I, I mentioned him in the book a couple of times, you know, as my greatest mentor. And to this day, he still is. I haven't worked for him in a, in a couple of years, but my gosh, he is just anytime, anytime you need to speak with him, I pick up the phone and, and he answers. Yeah, which is really cool. We've had some high profile coaches down, down here in Australia for our yeah. PJ Expo, which is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. have up there and um they he was just extremely approachable some of the other yeah. high profile coaches tend to want to go off by themselves and do yeah. their own thing but he was happy to talk with the public and ask questions and answer questions and do yeah. that kind of stuff which was which was really cool but you brought up something there that i want to talk about as well you've done some research out there and you are looking at or have published a book or you are getting to that stage about that yeah. um that's a huge step to make for someone so young so talk me yes. through that process so it involves it involves mr breed so um I was in my second year coaching at his academy, uh, close to the end of the season. 
And that winter I was going to go down uh, to, uh, to the South in America and, um, and coach a professional player exclusively. And I'm with, with Michael on the lesson tee and this student goes, Hey, can you help me out in the bunker? And he goes, yeah, sure. Let's, let's go. And so they go in the bunker for maybe 15 minutes or so. And the guy gets, he gets better, but it was a struggle. And, and Michael was working really hard as a coach to help this person out. And at the end of the day on the lesson tee, whenever Michael's there uh, at the end of the day, we, everybody hits golf balls for 20 to 30 minutes just to kind of keep their game sharp. And we're chatting and, and we, you know, we, we figure out what's going on over the next couple of weeks. And Michael says, so, you know, Andrew, you're leaving pretty soon. Right. And I go, yep. And, and he goes, okay, cool. He goes, you know, we've, and then he just kind of, you know, changes his thought and he goes, geez, you know, we've really got to get better at coaching bunkers. Cause we had no idea what, you know, like that lesson was bad. And he said, he goes, that was a bad lesson. Um, and he goes, you know, maybe we'll, we'll try to get somebody who is an expert like a Pete Cowan or, uh, you know, um, uh, James Ridyard to come in and just spend a day with us and help us out in the bunker. Uh, because we don't, we're not, we're not great at it. And so, so I go, you know what, I, I, to myself, I'm just thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this challenge on and, and figure out, you know, how, how a bunker, how, how bunk, bunker play happens. Like what, what do you do? How, what's, what's a good technique? What's a bad technique? How does it actually happen in the sand? Everything. And so that summer, or excuse me, that winter, I go down to, to Savannah, Georgia with a friend of mine, the, the pro player, and we're working together and I'm kind of thinking through my philosophy that I'm kind of developing. And uh, this was in 2019, late 2019. And um, I call up Michael and I go, Hey, Michael, I think I, I've learned a few things out of the bunker and I'm going to just compile it into a book. And so, um, so he goes, yeah, that's, that's great. Cause, cause I think at that point I was just going to, you know, write maybe like 20 pages of all the things that I've kind of tried to figure out and have figured out and just kind of hand it to, to Michael and my coworkers and say, okay, this is kind of what we got to do in the bunker. But as I was going about it, I just said, you know what, I'm going to just turn this into an actual book because maybe there's other coaches who struggle out of bunker uh, out of, uh, you know, helping people from the bunker. And I know that a lot of golfers struggle out of the bunker. And what I found out too uh, was I, I put a survey out on a golf teaching professionals Facebook page and um, saw that coaches there was there was a lot of things being coached and there and one of the the things that's in the book is uh, a little stat that says in this survey it was something like seventy percent of coaches. Um, taught players what to do out of bunkers out of bunkers based off of their own experience hitting bunkers, not necessarily from something they've uh, learned or from concrete data. Right. So like as a, as a coach going through a PGM school, you learn how to give a golf lesson and, and about ball flight from concrete data, but in bunker play, nobody knows any concrete data. And there's a lot of anecdotal ideas like the dollar bill method. 
Um, you know, that's, that's a drill that, that a lot of people do. Well, one of the things I found out was if you take a dollar bill size divot, you're probably not taking a, a big enough divot and you are probably not hitting a great golf shot. You're probably going to thin it. Um, and so obviously depending on the bunker consistency, but, um, so we ran a lot of tests and, um, you know, it took three years to, to do the tests and write it and during COVID. And there was a period of time where I just kind of closed my computer and my, you know, my word document and said, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like it's just <laughs> my, my brain was all foggy and stuff, but, um, but yeah, I, I put my thoughts down on, on paper and, um, actually I clicked publish, I I, I got to correct myself. My dad clicked publish on my computer last night because I couldn't do it myself. I was too nervous. <laughs> but this morning the book came back cause I needed to edit the cover page a little bit. So I ended up clicking publish, but yeah, so um, it's going to be on Amazon. It's called the bunker Bible, unlocking the secrets to, uh, to every green side Sandy situation. And awesome. uh, there's testimonials from Ian Poulter and Michael Breed on it. And um, some, data and some testing results and uh it's a book that's never been written before about bunker play very cool i'll put some little links out to that when you've, yeah. when you've got it up there yeah, I'll, so send you that. I'll send you through some stuff as well we had an amazing short game coach in australia unfortunately passed away oh. um ross herbert but okay yeah worked worked with um um brett rumford so oh wow see, yeah you yeah. see Brett short game. That's this is the guy that did, um, yep. and he had a VHS video on yeah. bunkers and short game, and yeah. was it came out in the nineties and was so far ahead of his time. Wasn't yeah. funny, but I'll share that with you. You can have a yeah, look that'd be that. great. I love that. Um, there's some pretty cool stuff in there that was so far ahead of its time. Um, yeah, you can, yeah, certainly watch that because this guy was amazing and yeah. he's come up in the podcast quite a few times over yeah. the over the Australian coaches I've had on the show. So, mate, yeah. really cool. Thank you so much for your time. But there is five questions I want to throw to you that we yeah. do to everybody that comes on the show. So yeah, you've covered so many good points for everyone out there so far anyway, but any specific advice for coaches starting out that you've got that you haven't shared already? Yeah, so so I... I think, I think we already mentioned it, but you've got to, you've got to get experience coaching. There's no, there's no substitute for it. Um, and seeking out information. And, and what I would say too, you know, seek, you know, if you can, if you could write a list of your, like your top 10 instructors that you want to learn from and make it be the best of the best, right? Make it be your Michael Breed, your Butch Harmon, your, you know, everybody that you can think of that's on these lists and just is a elite coach out on tour, make a list of those top 10. And if you can go and observe from, observe them and learn from them, just imagine how much better you'd be, you know, once you get through that list. So um, that's kind of something that I did, you know, in my, uh, in my college years was I, I made out a list of people that I wanted to go see and I handed it to my head professional I said, Hey, could you just help me reach out to these people? So that way, you know, it's coming from an authority and not a 18, 19 year old kid. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I think go and observe coaches, get, you know, get experience coaching. You know, some people go down the certification route, which, um, which maybe if you're not going to do the PGA, um, you know, uh, the PGA route, going and getting certifications would be a really good idea potentially. 
Um, but, but yeah, I think you've got to get experience. You just got to dive in. Makes so much sense. Really cool. Like that. Okay. So for golfers out there, any advice for golfers, either average club golfers or players that are trying to turn into pros advice for them? Seek coaching, seek help. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, you know, if you're a club golfer, seek out an expert, don't seek out somebody who spends a majority of time in the shop because, you know, their main focus isn't learning about all these amazing new technologies and, you know, philosophies and methods and everything in coaching that's coming, that's been coming out. Um, so, so, you know, it, you know, if, if you were to have a health issue, you would want to go see the best, right? And you'd want to go see an expert and a doctor, you know, would go and, pers- you know, say, this is the person you need to go visit. And I don't think that happens in the golf industry and, you know, it's not life or death, but if you want to get better, I would go see an expert, especially if you want to get to the next level, you have to go see an expert. Makes so much sense. Um, again, it's a pretty common answer that comes up with the, with the podcast is you know, actually go and find someone you can actually work yeah. with as opposed to trying to find the solution yourself online or yeah. by, by going out there and Googling. It doesn't mm-hmm. tend to work so well. Um, you've had, obviously you've had a fairly short career so far as there, yes. but is there anything that you would change in your process so far? You've kind of, you've coached tool players, you've coached, um, you've, 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 yeah. Work with Michael Breed. You've worked with some of the um, high-profile coaches in the world. Is there anything that you would do differently? Um, I would say I, I don't think I, I don't think I would. I, I've been I've been so lucky to have things you know just happen at the right time. Um, right the the person who left the Michael Breed Golf Academy at the right time. And a spot opened up for me. And I happened to run into to Michael and Greg two months before at the PGA show when I wasn't even really necessarily looking to go and find them. You know, I just ran into them. So, you know, there was some luck involved there. There was, you know, had COVID not happened, I probably would have ended up staying at the Breed Academy because I probably would have had in my third season a lot better season. And I would have earned a little bit more money and I – probably would have, you know, had a little bit more, uh, would have been more settled in, in where I was living and, and, you know, my life and everything. But, you know, because of COVID and that disrupted everything, I was okay to go and move down to Florida and go work with the Poulters when that crazy opportunity, you know, you know, just popped up. Um, so, so I don't think I would change anything at all. No, that completely makes sense. And I've got no issue with that whatsoever. Now, the the question we ask next is, where do you see yourself in five years time? But the fact you've done so much so quickly, this, this might be, um, I'll be coaching Tiger Woods somewhere and making, making a fortune. So you've, you've gone up through the career rank so quickly, but where do you see yourself in five years time? So, um, you know, I, I, I honestly, have only thought so far as the next year um, because there's been so much change over the last two years or so. And, um, you know, and so much brain power used to try and write a book for the first time and all the things, you know, going and working with the Poulters and that whole change and moving and, um, you know, some personal things and, and all that. So, um, I worked so hard to get to this point that I'm, I haven't necessarily thought so far ahead past, you know, this golf season with where I'm working. 
Um, but I, I'll, I foresee myself sticking in the Boston area for a couple of years, a few years, um, and, and coaching there and, and, you know, working at this, you know, golf Academy where they have a lot of elite juniors. Um, and, but, but yeah, my, I would say my, my dream in my career, I want to coach a major champion. And that's a crazy thing to say. And all the coaches who have coached major champions never said that. I think the only one that has said that is Sean Foley, um, who is a coach that I did get to watch when I was down in Florida. Um, and, and so that, that's something that I, you know, that would be a dream to, to coach a major champion, have somebody reach the, the highest of high, you know, level, um, so, so I would say that, and then just, I would say as a career outlook, if I emulated the career of, you know, the, the, the people that I try to emulate the most are Michael Breed and Butch Harmon. If I could have a career that looked like those two, or even half of what those guys did, I think I'd, you know, would be a pretty awesome career. So, so that's, I, I just try to, yeah, I just try to, to, you know, get on their shoulders and, and see how far I can, can look into the distance. Awesome. I like it. I like it. So where do you go to source your information and further learning? Is there podcasts that you tune into? Is there any, any sites that you go to? Yeah. So um, I would say I, I definitely listened to uh, a podcast by Jason Sutton called the golf guru show. Um, he's got a lot of great instructors on there. Um, I definitely, in my earlier, uh, when I was in college, um, I read a lot more than I do now, um, just as I was starting. And um, so there, if you're starting out, there's a book by Hank Haney called The Seven Essentials of the Swing. And that was a great little introductory book that, you know, gave me a little look into higher level coaching and how to diagnose swings. Um, so that was one piece of information. But but yeah, I, I think, you know, you know, my, my resume that I hand to people, my physical resume, the last two pages of it is, is called observation of industry leaders. And it's just two pages full of all the people that I've gone to learn from. And there's PGA uh, national coaches of the year. There's golf digest, you know, top 100 or you know, top 50 or 100. There's golf magazine, top 100s. There's, you know, the who's who of, of coaching and teaching in, in our industry. And um, so I, I seek out information from, from the best of the best and try to get it right from the source. Makes so much sense doing that, getting out there and seeing people do it. And I've always found that the high profile guys are pretty approachable. If you, yeah, if you come up very. and say, You'll, can I spend time with you? They're, they're pretty open to it, which very. is cool. Um, I'll second the, the golf guru show. We've had the guru on the podcast yeah, here. And he's great. He came out, came out a chat to me and yeah, it was really cool. But we have to do it in person with him next time so we can crack yeah. the wine. That's always what we want to do with Jason. <laughs> but um, his shows are always good. So I tune into his podcast as well. So Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, we've I've kept you way too long. Um, oh, it was great. I, I certainly appreciate it. I've only got halfway through my notes, so I think we'll have to do a part two at some stage there. But yeah, where can people find you if they're keen to get in touch? You've got a pretty good presence on Instagram, I know of, and 
Yeah. So I would say Instagram is, is probably the, the best place to, to see what I'm up to and, and reach me. It's uh, just at Andrew Losey Golf. And uh, my last name is spelled L-O-S-E-Y. Um, and then I have a website also that, that people can, can find me. And it's just the same thing, uh, andrewlosegolf.com. Thank you. I'll put some links in the show notes for everybody so they can find you there and definitely encourage people to jump on and um, and ask you questions because you are pretty yeah. active on, yeah, those, I'm, on those I'm, platforms. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to to look at a golf swing and, and you know, give a little advice or, or answer any questions to aspiring professionals. I, I, I pride myself on, on, you know, responding as quickly as I can and um, so always happy to help. Awesome, mate. Thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. And we'll certainly catch up again really soon. Will do. Thanks, Brent. <laughs>